You are listening to the Talking Tough Podcast, the world's toughest men and women at their most vulnerable. Their stories of triumph, their falls from grace, and their climb back to the top, to life. This is Rick Bassman here for Talking Tough on the Podcast One Network. Who's taking the lead? We just go. <laughs> hey guys, how's everybody this weekend? Good. We can also but survive Thanksgiving weekend. That was not an easy one for all of us. I, <laughs> I actually watched them eight very well, so I've done very good this weekend. How about you, boss? Uh, I, you know, well, what happened was last week I couldn't be here because I was doing the Trill of Fight Club. Uh, the show was on Saturday. So they wanted me to come in on Thursday, which is Thanksgiving. So we celebrated on Wednesday with the family Thanksgiving. And then early in the morning, like 5.30 or something, I flew out to Dallas and uh, did the show over there. So, yeah, it was, an, uh, it was interesting. Let me tell you that. It was a lot of fun to see. It was, it was boxers, uh, seven boxers against seven mixed martial arts guys, all boxing, but with clinching, and you were allowed to punch in the clinch. So that would give... The, the, the mixed martial arts a little bit of an edge, of course, because otherwise, if it's solely boxing, yeah, then the boxers are in their favor. Oh, so no, boxers are pretty good at clinching, too, though. Yeah, I know, but you can't punch in the clinch. You know, they break you up. Right you get neck you. wrestle, you get an underhook, you get overhook. You see, so that was kind of cool. So, was uh, yeah. Was that happening on Thanksgiving? It, no, and they wanted me in to be there in, on, on Thursday. No, it happened on Saturday, last Saturday. So I don't imagine you guys caught any football on Thanksgiving. <clears throat> no, we weren't. You didn't, no. see, you didn't see what the Raiders did to the Cowboys? Holy crap, that was the game of the year. Everybody was watching it. I do know that, yeah. But that was, uh, yeah. How was it? What, what, did you your favorite team? I don't even know who won. It's, it's like a well, well, we, were, we won. I'm, I'm bragging here. We won one on one, one game win streak. We beat the Cowboys, get the Cowboys. Um, and of course, the world, the universe was ripe again. We were winning the game the entire time, and of course, it went down to literally a tie game. We choked down the crunch, but then we got over the hump and we ruined the Cowboys' weekend. Now we got the Washington Redskins. So my Thanksgiving was very good. I know it ruined a lot of Texans. Those guys cheering for the Cowboys, they were pissed. <laughs> but there it nice. is. Hey, um, you were gone, Eric. When I had, I think you were gone when I had my bodybuilding show in Hawaii. You missed the show. You were on the road, right? Yeah, I was. What was happening? What, what did I miss? Um, which one? Which one? Last week or week before? Yeah, I think it was was it last week? I think it was last week, right, boss? Or two two weeks ago? My show, yeah, two weeks ago. I was in two Hawaii. Weeks ago. Last week I had some bad back issues. I had to go to the 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 uh, after hours clinic. Yeah, how'd it go? How was it? That ain't much I can tell you. Yeah. Yeah. You're back. Well, something. I mean, there's other people that have back issues too, right? Yeah. How, how, how's the other thing? Speaking of uh, injuries. That's healed up quite well. <laughs> oh. Did you go to the doctor for it? No, no, I decided I'm going to just, just wing it out. Oh, dude. Wow. Tough man. Tough man. Because that picture. That's it's pretty nice. Ready to go. <laughs> <laughs> what do you guys? What do you guys? Uh, we had this weekend. I, I know I'm. I'm. Th- I'm headed to Toronto, Canada for a bodybuilding show in Toronto. One of the last pro shows of the calendar year uh, in Toronto. What do you guys have coming up? Well, I'll be up in uh, Smoky Mountains the next three weeks until pretty much till Christmas. There's a big market up there I set up at and. Uh, Meeting great people and, and just—it's a really cool time up there when I go up there. Well, up there. where's the Smoky Mountains at on the map? Tennessee. Tennessee. All right, boss. You are you done traveling for the year, boss? You done? Oh uh, no, I'm. Uh, well, yeah, traveling. I I'm done, but I'm, I'm going to uh, Los Angeles for a breathing class. You know, I do the uh, this breathing classes with uh, Dr. Belisa Vranich. She's a world-renowned breathing expert and uh, one of her students, Crystal. Is going to do it on Sunday morning, so I'm going to go over there and take it. It's like two hours, and it's it's a freaking workout. You'll be sweating, and you're really training your breathing muscles. So, looking forward to that. Yeah, it'd be interesting. I started working out my younger daughter, my 16 year old, 
um, you know, the first time you take her into the gym, uh, the first time I took her to the gym, she threw up, we did legs. I picked up the pace. I did a lot of repetitions and she threw up and I was just like, okay, you done throwing up. Let's finish the workout. And she did. And then the next day we go back, her legs are super, super sore. Mine are too. And we, we train our chest and literally at the end of our chest workout, we're doing leg stretches and we're doing body weight lunges. And I feel like I pulled my hamstring. I step forward. I'm like, ah! then it was my turn to be on the ground. And then today we went to the gym. So she's been good. We went to the gym three times in a row this week. It's interesting, uh, you know, kind of watching her, how she handles me trying to push her through the workouts and, and uh, how she responds to it. It's kind of cool because she's a dancer and a singer, not a bodybuilder, but she's enthusiastic about trying to lose a little bit of weight, tone up uh, before they go to uh, New York in, in December for the holidays. I've never torn anything. So I, I just sprained my hamstring. I was scared the shit out of myself, but I never had a torn muscle. Have you? Yeah, I've, I've, I've actually detached muscles before. Wow. Both Damn. biceps during fights, I've detached them during the fight. Fighting, throwing the punches, you tore your biceps. Ripped it off the bone and just rolled up. Wow, while you're fighting? Yeah. Does the fight stop or you kept going? I won I won both fights. Holy shit. Wow. That's quite painful though. I mean, I mean, honestly, one of the most painful things you can go through. Did you have a detach uh, reattached or surgery yeah, or they heal yeah. themselves? Dr. Daly in California done the one, and Dr. Andrews done the other in Birmingham, which Andrews is the top of the line. Did you fight again after you tore those biceps? After I yelled both, both times. After uh, Andrews, I fought, I'm thinking six weeks after I'd done it. Wow, man. That's great. I mean, for the people that have never torn something, I sprained my hamstring. I scared the crap out of myself. But an actual tear, that has to be painful. Well, I don't, know, I don't know if you call it a tear. I, I've torn my rotator cuffs, both of them. They still are. I mean, they've healed up okay. Uh, but the, the bicep detached from the tendon. It just ripped wow. off. I guess that would be considered a tear. Yeah. They go black and blue on you? Oh, bad. Yeah, yeah. It, was, it was horrible. I mean, it felt like somebody pouring hot grease inside your arm. Yeah, I've never heard a good report on a torn muscle. Boss, you ever tear anything? I told yeah. I told my uh, my biceps as well. It's a little shorter, but it was before a fight, so I figured, you know what? I committed to the fight, so I got to fight, and then thankfully I won the fight. But it was and it was stupid. It was literally throw a left hook in the air in training. I just did like like a big one just for fun to see if it would block it. So poof, and it was pack. I go, what the heck is that? It was completely black and blue, and uh, and they said it's a partial tear, it's not completely off. So that's why I didn't uh, go to the doctor. Wow. Yeah, that's kind of scary. Especially yeah, without, without surgery, there's no fix on what was mine. Cause that, that, no, yours is complete there. You'll hold to the bone and tie it back to the bone. Yeah. But that's amazing you continued after your career. I mean, for a bodybuilder, a lot of the athletes, it's over. Although we did have two Mr. Olympia winners, Dorian Yates and Chris Dickerson, that both went on to win the Olympia after they tore their biceps. So it's, it's rare, but they were able to do it. Wow. Yeah. Kevin Lavroni tore his pec. He went on to have a great career after he tore his pec. He got four. He got three uh, first runner-ups in the Olympia after he tore his pec. But for a lot of them, it's a career. It's over. Uh, Rich Gaspari tore his pec. It's pretty much over. Barry DeMay from Holland tore his pec back yeah. in 1990. Uh, his career was pretty much over after that. So for bodybuilding, it's a different look. Um, they yeah. just, it's very hard to, to come back from. Um, I know we're waiting on Rick to come in on this thing, but I know he said uh, you were going to be introducing our next guy. He's logging in. Now. I don't think he's backstage yet. Oh, okay. Oh, well, Rick is logging in. He says, "I'm just uh -huh. getting it done." Well, Tom Tom Howard's been a friend of mine for a long time. Uh, he's pro wrestled. He's uh, professionally fought. Uh, movie stunts. He's done all kinds, a little bit of everything. Hopefully, he can fill you in a little bit more because I'm I'm more of a friend of his than a fan. Uh, but he had a huge following in Japan, also wrestling. Um, you fought him as a wrestler, not a boxer. He's no, he was an MMA fighter, but he also done professional wrestling. Yeah, and trained wrestlers. 
I mean, he's he's very talented in the wrestling. He helped with the Hulk Hogan show also. Oh, wow. he, was one of, he was the main main instructor there. Okay. Now, did you fight him? Uh, actually, we fought one time. How how was that? Take us back. When and where? Fighting. Well, I beat him, but I mean, it was his, uh, you know. With a neck crank. Yeah, yep. Yeah. Was that uh, MMA fighting? MMA? Yeah, MMA. Wow. Wait, you fought him twice. Yeah, I did fight him twice. Yes, actually. you slid an arm lock, and then, and then you fought him two years later, you fought, and you went with a neck crank. Hey, Rick, it's about time. All right, <laughs> Rick, guys, I'm, so, I'm so sorry, and I, I almost didn't want to come on. I was enjoying watching you guys. You guys have gotten so good at this, but at least when I come on, it makes you all better looking. So I, I'm out yeah, of here. Yeah, we were admiring the top of your head. We were admiring your ball head. There you go. Chaotic day here. Um, hey guys, good good to see you, and thanks for the forgiving of my uh, inexcusable tardiness. Thank you. Um, I know you were about to bring Tom in. I heard you do in the intro. Uh, Rachel, John, do not pop Tom in yet. Um, why don't we complete the intro and bring our guest on? Bean, should we do that? Well, go ahead, Rick. Can you finish it off? So Tom Tom Howard is an incredibly interesting guy. He's one of those guys that Hollywood would call a multi-hyphenate. I know Tom, he's going to take that in some sort of perverse interpretation. But what multi-hyphenate means is this guy knows a lot of things, as Bean started to say. He's a pro fighter uh, late in his career, pro wrestler, possibly the number one trainer in the history of the pro wrestling business for the stars that he started. Beyond that, what Tom has a reputation for backstage in MMA, in pro wrestling, is being like the ultra zen master and when you see tom he's a pretty scary looking dude he's got um his face is all scarred up he's got that look he looks like the evil drago but if you know he's him definitely, he's definitely a bleeder he's bleeder. Yeah, i'm sure uh we'll get some good store oh my god i i was there when he was getting his head sewed up after he got kneed in the face by hongman Choi, and uh and I hate to say it, I know Sean doesn't like when I go off color, but I have to do it. I looked at Tom, I go, dude, it looks like you have a giant bleeding vagina on your forehead right now. <laughs> it was like the nastiest yeah, thing. One of those. <laughs> Sorry. Um, he's a bleeder. But he's he's known as he's a Zen master. He, he's like super into, you know, the Eastern spiritual arts. And he, he translates that in a really interesting way into his careers in the fighting world, the acting world, the pro wrestling world. So I expect uh, we'll have some uh, deep and interesting uh, and fun conversation tonight with uh, with our good friend, Tom Howard. Right on. Let's bring him on. There he is. Hey, Tom. <laughs> Gentlemen. What's up? Such a pleasure. I'm glad to hear that uh, my head looks like a vagina. Hey, you got hair. That's nice. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's like a it's like a, a seventy a seventies vagina. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey Tom, where are you calling in from? Where are you? I am in Orlando, Florida. Okay. I'll be out yeah. there in two weeks for the national championship. Do you live there? Yeah, look me up, man. We're out here. Uh, my wife is uh in the WWE, so we're we're out here for wrestling. Oh great. Well if you're if you're available, I can come come check out some bodybuilding. I'll make sure we get you some tickets. Absolutely, man. I, that'd be great. The reason I brought that up was that's the that's where I won my pro card. Not in Orlando, but the American National Championships. Um, I competed and won back in 1987. That was the fifth year they ever had it. Started in 1982. Lee Haney won the first one. He's won eight Mr. Olympias, one of our most decorated bodybuilders. But the Nationals is like the starting point for the pro career for the bodybuilders. And then you have the USAs. And in the old days, you had the universe. Those were like the three ways to get to the IFBB Pro League and on to the Mr. Olympia. So... We're celebrating our 40 years of the uh, national championships. It's it's right there at the Orange County Convention Center. I'll definitely, uh, if you're available, I'll get yeah. you tickets. Come on out and check it out. I want to learn more about you, though, Rick. Oh, I'm a big I'm a big fan of yours. I think that you were robbed in both '94 and '96 by Dorian Yates. I have to tell you. Right now. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> thank you. I'm surprised most people don't follow bodybuilding to know what you just said. I appreciate. Oh that. yeah, no, no. Trust me. Uh, I think most of the wrestling people are uh, bodybuilding marks. We, we grew up really as big fans. Right on. I appreciate that. Yeah. Uh, what he's referring to, Rick, is uh, 94, 96. Those are my two closest years 
but I came to actually almost winning the Mr. Olympia. And both years I lost to a consecutive six-year winner in Dorian Yates from England. That was the other guy, um, uh, Butterbean, we were talking about tours bicep. So right. in 1994, when Dorian tore his bicep and left the door open just a little bit, but he was just too big to, to get the judge's attention, and I lost. So. Yeah, he, he, he took it to the next level. And you, you had the symmetry, but he had taken something to such a new level that it was it, it drew the, everyone's attention, you know? Yeah, the size and all of that stuff. Yeah. Least, I don't know much about your career, Tom. I'd like to hear firsthand. You fought Butterbean a couple times. <laughs> yes. I, yeah. I don't know. Was that the highlight of the career, or did you have some other crazy stuff going on along no. the way? I'll tell you. Well, okay. I'll, I'll go, jump back to the very beginning. Uh, born in Salt Lake City, Utah, uh, of a Mormon family, uh, one of seven children. Um, basically, got married at a very young age. Had a daughter. Uh, ended up um, in a corporate job, suit and tie, and decided that I would not was not a good fit for the corporate world. So I found I was always bodybuilding, and you know, so I found pro wrestling. Uh, started training in pro wrestling and ended up um, training with a guy that had connections to Mexico, what they call Lucha Libre. Ah. So I got a phone call one day that they were setting up a ring up in uh, the Los Angeles Sports Arena. And I went up there and uh, basically did a quick on-the-fly on the tryout. And next thing I know, they're flying me into Mexico City. Uh, I asked my, my company, and they said, yeah, please, if you get a chance. And they, I said, how long should I pack my bags for? They said, could be a week if you if you get over, or it could be a year. So next thing you know, I'm in uh, Mexico City, uh, and on television there, uh, doing the whole lucha libre thing. I wrestled as a uh, Russian character called KGB, and uh, some crazy, crazy times in Mexico. Let me tell you. <laughs> and uh, and then I come back from Mexico after a couple of years, and. Uh, I go back to my corporate gig and I have one of my uh, guys that works for me drives uh, to go survey some sites. And he tells me there's this new gym open. Uh, and he says, uh, I walked in there and met this guy uh, who was pretty interesting named Rick Bassman. And uh, that's when my introduction to Rick Bassman came. And Rick had a gym called Extreme University. What year fact, is that? God, Rick, what would that be? Is Rick on there? Mm -hmm. 98 99 maybe i'm pretty bad at years but right about that yeah say. yeah so that's that's where the uh dangerous duo of uh, tom howard and rick bassman was born uh we started uh he, he he wanted to at the time ufc um most of the fighters like uh let me see uh kevin randall and mark coleman uh mark Kerr, I want to say, you, boss, you came down for a couple of things, if I remember correctly. Mm -hmm. uh, but the UFC was basically at the point where I believe John McCain was shutting down the UFC. And so all the guys were trying to get over to pro wrestling. Yeah. And so uh, we, uh, Rick started to train a lot of the Ultimate Fighters. And, of course, I was the head trainer there at that point. And uh, that's how the whole thing started. We started something called yeah. UPW, which was Ultimate Pro Wrestling, and uh, started training. Most of the guys were like, there was about 10 Ultimate Fighters. Kimo Leopoldo was there. I'm trying to think of the other guys. Mark. Well, you know, I, I think it was yeah. some of the old classic photos, Tom. And, yeah. you know, and, and I want to go back and get you to make you tell us one crazy story about Mexico in a minute. Because you can't get okay. off that easy about Mexico. Yeah. We know they're ugly, hence entertaining. But uh, lots of stories. You know, UPW, I mean, Ultimate. We stole the name from Ultimate Fighting Championship, so that, yeah, that's you what got we're doing back then. And, and if you look at our matter of fact, uh, UFC sued us over that years later, and yes. Dana let us out of the suit personally when he found out the company was suing us. So we always had a nice relationship there. But man, like Sean, if you look at the old photos. You would see you see Tom and his tag team partner Hank Hill up front, who was probably Hank the biggest Hill. human being on the planet at the time. You know Hank, of course. Yeah. And then there's yeah, Kimo Leopoldo, Tank Abbott, Mark Coleman, Mark Kerr, um, Paul Dolette, Chris Cormier, Aaron Baker, and and that's where the freak show began. I mean, that Andrew Bernarski at the apex of his career and his career. <laughs> but Mike, Mike O'Hearn, John Cena. I mean, that was a place in time that will never be replicated again. It was the ultra right. 
human freak show, but in a really, really cool way. And, and that place in time you're talking about is 98, Rick? Or that, are we in 98, 99? Well, yeah, I mean, our, we had about a six, seven-year run, but right okay. at that 98, 99 is when that whole group first uh, converged there. Sylvester Turkai. Um, I, I might be misstating this, boss. I, I've told the story a thousand times over the years, and boss is now probably going to tell me I got it wrong. Um, matter of fact, I told this to – I was talking to Rulon Gardner yesterday. And, yeah. um, and, and, boss, we were talking about you. I do. I know that you guys are friends. And we're talking about Sylvester Turkai. And yeah. not many people know Sylvester. But Big. I remember Sylvester training in, in our school one day and pretty much having his way with Coleman and Kerr who were the top oh, two yeah. heavyweights in the world at that time. And unless I'm mistaken, boss, I think you met him for the first time, and you said, fuck, if that guy fights, no one's going to beat him. That's kind of yeah. what I remember at the time. It, it, because he was an animal, and he's huge also, right? I mean, he's an NCAA Division One wrestling champion and just a, a, a mountain of a human being. But yep. the point being, Sylvester at that point in time was just like another one of the guys. We had the craziest crew, I think, in the history of the planet. It was wild. Yeah. What is he doing now, Sylvester? <laughs> Sylvester bought, you know, he's one of the few guys that, you know, unlike Tom and I, Tom and I would go live hard, man, and we were on the road. And oh, yeah. uh, Sylvester would stay in his hotel room, and he always brought his own little portable stove. We used to, because uh, he wouldn't spend money. We used to joke that, like in Japan, if there was a missing poster, like a Japanese person, that he's probably being cooked up on Sylvester's stove in the hotel room. Uh, he, he would, <laughs> He was an odd guy, man. He was odd. nice, nicest guy in the world, but very odd. He saved every penny he ever made. Uh, he bought a property outside of uh, Pittsburgh. He has a little ca a cabin with a lake. He stocks his own lake. He has his own rowboat. He rows out on his own lake and catches his own fish. And then he goes and sells cars for a living. That's what Sylvester does now. Like Dexter, Dexter, basically. Tom, I'm interested, Tom, you said that, you know, you're from Salt Lake City. Yes. The moment comes, and now you can go to Mexico. Yes. Do the whole, what do you call Nacho Libre? Uh, Lucha Libre, yes. What are they paying you? I'm sorry, Sean. Uh, the money's not I'm great. Jack go ahead. Black for Nacho Libre. I just wanted to throw that in there. Oh, you did? Yeah, yeah. Later on, I trained Jack Black for the movie uh, Nacho Libre, so that's where the confusion comes. Um, the money's not great. I want to say like a grand a week or something. And the funniest part is they give you the money in pesos, and then you had to run to the bank and switch it over to U.S. dollars. And then I would buy the magazines that I was in and put the, put the money in the envelope, in the magazines, and then FedEx them home to my wife. Uh, and then what, what I didn't realize is in some of the magazines I was busted open, so I, my head's all bloody. And so my wife didn't realize at the time. And so she opens the magazines and she shows my kids this pictures of me with my head just destroyed. And kids yeah. start. They tell me to this day. It's kind of funny. <laughs> That's crazy. But yeah. So uh, great, great, crazy story. Mexico, uh, for example, when I first got there, they told me I was going to wrestle this guy named Pero Guayo, who's a legendary guy. And they tell me I had this uh, hammer and sickle belt buckle. And they said, um, we're going to have you bring him out, and we want you to act like you're going to present him with a lifelong achievement award, and you're some sort of uh, you know, special guy from Russia. And then once I you know, brought him to the ring and acted like I was going to present him with this thing, I smash him over the head, I wrap my belt buckle around his neck, and I throw him over the rope, and he's hanging. And he's a guy who's known to bleed, so he cuts himself. So he's sitting there dripping blood while I'm hanging him. And all of a sudden... Corona bottles start flying yeah. into the ring, and I was like, "Wow, what did I get myself into?" Just <laughs> crazy. Did you ever find yourself having to like fight a fan? Like, did they bleed? Yeah, the yeah. So, so right away they told me they had these two what they call Edicanes, which are the Mexican models. They had them bleach their hair blonde, and they had them come out with me with the hammer and sickle flags. And uh, this guy named Conan, who was the big star there and the promoter. He said, the people kept grabbing the flag, and I walked out, and he said, the next guy who grabs that thing, pull him over the rails and beat the shit out of him. And he said, and I was like, what? I'm going to jail. And he's like, no, we'll pay off the cops. So <laughs> sure enough, the guy <laughs> grabbed my flag. I grabbed him. I'm like, sorry. Pull him over and just start giving him the elbow <laughs> treatment. And um, 
the cops arrest me and uh and then of course they paid him off and it was like it it, it got on the news that i was like the crazy guy that you shouldn't have touched <laughs> I are any of that stuff on YouTube? I know that was like in Mexico, but was are we able to see any of this stuff? Oh yeah, yeah, it's online. Yeah, it's it's very it's called AAA Lucha Libre. It's uh it's like the top, I don't know, three or four promotion in the world. It's it's yeah. huge in Mexico. Like once I started on television there, I couldn't walk down the streets without having people pull over taxis and start screaming and yelling. You know, you you really quickly realize you don't want to be famous. Um, especially yeah. infamous. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Well, they um, in Mexico. I mean, you know, we've all heard the stories about someone's grandmother who still thinks pro wrestling is real, and you know that those days have passed in the U.S. for the most part. But Mexico, man. I don't know, Rick. I've been to Ringo, Georgia. Trust me, it hasn't passed. Yeah, yeah. Ringo, Georgia. <laughs> excluding the excluding the deep south, with all respect. <laughs> yeah, right. That's a whole. That's a different country, though, Bean. But um. In, uh, in in Mexico, man, it's like part of their culture, Sean. They yeah. they worship pro wrestling. Pro wrestling in Mexico is ten times bigger there than it ever was here at its hottest point. And what about when you wear the mask? I mean, do they recognize? I mean, because you have to have the mask, right? Or no? No, no. So here's a, here's a funny story. So normally you start with a mask and then you lose the mask and then you 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 in a match called mask versus mask or hair versus hair. So when I first get there, they have a mask created for me. But th whoever done the sewing did the hammer and sickle backwards. Mm. And so as soon as I looked at it, I, I showed the, the boss and I was like, I can't do I can't wear this out. And the guy like takes the seamstress and hits her in the head and goes like, oh. And then he's like, just go out where you are. You know, I, I looked at the time. I looked very much like uh, Dolph uh, Lundgren from Rocky Five. So uh, so I didn't start with the mask. No. Wow. Yeah, if you look at uh, if you look at Tom's old promo photo from his KGB days, he he and Dolph Lundgren looked like they were separated at birth for sure. I yeah, mean, there there was a reason. How tall are you, Tom? Are you tall? Um, oh, am I tall? Yeah, I'm six four. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Six four two seventy ish. Wow. Okay. He's only he's only three foot taller than Rick. <laughs> Hold on. My math isn't very good. Three and a half, but who's counting Bean? I want to hear, I want to hear about the match with Butterbean. So Butterbean's the king of the four-round fights, right? You guys are doing an MMA, MMA fight? Or was this yeah. a wrestling? Yeah, no, 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 no. I did some MMA stuff. Um, well, here's a funny story. So when I first met Butterbean, uh, we were in England. And I remember him and his wife. I only remember this because it's a very funny story. Him and his wife had bought a big bottle of absinthe. I can I can say this, right, Bean? Oh yeah, yeah, definitely. What is okay. it? Oh, Bean doesn't edit. Bean, Bean will. Okay, Bean okay. I, I was like, wait a minute. Am I gonna get someone in trouble here? So, yeah, they had bought a big bottle of absinthe, and we were at a TV show together. Remember when we were at the TV show there? Yeah. And uh, I think you mentioned to me. You said there's a fight coming up. You know, at my my house, my hometown. And if you'd like to come and fight me, and I said I'll do it. I said, but you got to share that absence with me. And so, sure enough, uh, I don't know what it is. So, sure enough, sure enough, a couple months later, he flies me out. We did a fight, uh, cage fight in his hometown. Um, he was kind enough not to knock me out. He was kind enough to uh, choke me. Um, but I did give him a flying tea bag. Remember when I jumped up and almost got yeah, you? That, that, <laughs> that was a great. I got, I got that photo somewhere. It's a great photo too. Yeah. Oh, it was on the cover of uh, um, something like Casino Weekly. Yeah, yeah, it was. Right, right. Tom, well, I'm trying to figure out what was the bottle called again? What is it? Okay, okay well, so I'm having alcohol, oh, but Sean, it has wormwood in it. It's like yeah, a hallucinogenic, hallucinogenic, hallucinogenic alcohol. And oh. like, if you ever saw the movie uh, Moulin Rouge, because, you know, we like to talk about musicals here on Talking Tough. If you ever saw Moulin Rouge... Rouge when they all the fairies like throw out their wings and start flying around, okay. that's under the influence of absinthe because it gives you ah. strange hallucinations like that. There's another movie that was in that the fairies were chasing them. <laughs> Bean, another was, another great thing was the fairies chase you, Bean. I've had fairies chase me. <laughs> the referee Herb Dean was there to ref our match. 
And I remember Bean had some sheriff deputies there who were good friends, and we hung out. And Herb Dean said something about one of their tasers, and the de deputy says, you can tase me if you like. And we were joking because this is like in deep South Alabama. So it's like the first time that a black guy ever tased a cop and <laughs> didn't get shot, right? <laughs> well, you know, that, that, was a, that was one of the greatest nights. You guys haven't lived until you've gone to Jasper, Alabama, for a butter being promoted MMA event in, oh, a, in, yeah. a, ro in a rodeo arena. Oh, oh yeah. In a, horse, in a horse arena with a dirt floor. But great it was. Manure and manure. It was. Right. And, um, but it was great. It was like one of the most fun events of all time. And those cops, I mean, they were about as white bread as you get. And <laughs> when they walked into that locker room, Herb actually was, he kind of overdid it a bit, but he was, he was frightened. And, uh, <laughs> If, if you remember, later that night, we went to, uh, you know, if you're with Butterbean, you're going to the strip club. That's how it works. And yeah. uh, I, I know Libby's right there, so anything's cool to say. Libby probably went with us, I'm sure. <laughs> Libby's, Libby's the coolest wife ever. And uh, the cops were there. The cops actually drove us from the motel to the strip club. And they're standing up in the VIP area. And we said, hey, would you guys, can we buy you a drink? And they're like, oh, no, no, we're on duty. Two hours later, those were the biggest <laughs> people in the whole bar. <laughs> of course. Of course they came back. Tom, besides MMA fighting, was there, in wrestling, was there any other type of uh, fighting that you did? Uh, well, yeah. So I fought, I got an offer to contract. Uh, so I wrestled in Japan for, well, okay. I'll, so I'll fast forward a couple of, uh, um, just so it has a chronological order. Um from from there, Rick and I uh, got involved with WWE and became a, a a wrestling territory for them called UPW Wrestling School. That's where we trained John Cena and uh, a lot of the top wrestlers in the in the world. And uh, so so WWE signed me to a development deal, and then I went on the road, uh, pretty much wrestling. You guys have on your show, Kurt Angle. I've watched most all of your shows, which I, I think I might be one of your biggest fans. So. I wrestled Kurt Angle most every night, you know, three three nights a week for about a year. Um, and then my contract came up, and I ended up uh, going to Japan. And uh, I wrestled in Japan for maybe five years. And then what happened was K1, which is K1 is like Pride. There was two, two big companies called K1 and Pride. Um, they asked us if we would be interested in – they were signing like uh, – special interest matches it was like they, they they signed a guy named akabono who was the famous sumo guy um i was a pretty well-known wrestler and so that i was i was also my character was uh green beret so i was known as like a killing machine so anyway they signed us to um uh six fight deals and we started doing fights every three months huge huge fights like sixty thousand seat arenas Wow. So yeah, I fought. Uh, I didn't. I wouldn't call myself a fighter. I'd call myself a human punching bag because I pretty much went. I got beat up, but uh, I, I never actually quit. I knew that the only thing you could do, the only thing I was in control of, was to go try to fight as hard as you could. Uh, and then, if, hey, you get knocked out. You get knocked out. No worries. And you can't show fear and you can't quit. So it's uh, real fighting, like not really scripted, right? No, one hundred percent real fighting. Yeah, oh, no, I collected. Uh, I collected about thirty stitches from my fight. This is K one, which is world career. class. And, and boss, you know, boss was commentating for Pride at that point. And and boss, you remember the big New Year's battle? Of course, there were um, there were three shows. There's four major TV networks in Japan, and at the apex of MMA's popularity there, on New Year's Eve, three of the four networks were airing live MMA shows head to head to head against one another it was a, a, an amazing time and they would do super bowl like ratings no exaggeration it was off the chain and so tom's fighting debut was i don't we're, we're osaka maybe the osaka yeah it was, a, it was k1 dynamite it was new year's eve k1 dynamite in front of 60 70 000 people yeah it was the first ever guy. i think it was 91 and a half thousand right it was k1 and it was and pride it was outside. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah the Huge of it. So, so the highest fight was against Christoph Madu. I mean, it's a real guy. Oh, you know, you know, you know, Christoph. I'm sure. And yeah, yeah, Tom, yeah. I, have to say, I have to say it, man. You had him 
And I still think, you know, the night before, we went out to the Hard Rock, and we're having shots, and Tommy Thompson, I'll have one. And I'm like, but you're fighting, but you're fighting tomorrow. Uh, one shot won't hurt. And that made sense. I don't know how the six or seven shot fit into that equation. But <laughs> I, I still uh, I, I you had him, man. That was that was amazing. It was well, amazing. here's the funniest part about fighting. When you're a pro wrestler, there's part of the art of pro wrestling is learning how to stop your punches on the skin and stop your skin. I'm sorry, stop your your kick on the skin. And so you do it. And when you're used to doing it in a big arena, it becomes second nature. And so when you actually have to do it and follow through, your body doesn't want to do it. It's not prepared to do it. I'd done yeah. that for 15 years of my life. And so I really d couldn't follow through with the punch. Maybe if I'm angry enough in a real fight, yes. But in that environment, like literally, I'm just almost like throwing work punches. It's, it's horrible. It's like the worst feeling ever. You feel like you're drowning. Tom, I'm curious, and I'm sure a lot of other people are too. I, I don't know how the pay structure is, but when yeah. you're in an arena with 60,000 people, like, clearly the fight has to be agreed on. You agree on whatever money yeah. that you're willing to fight for yeah. or, or, or whatever money they're willing to pay you. I don't know how it works. Are you are you, are you saying, hey, I'll fight for 20 grand, or are they saying, hey, we're going to give you 20 grand? Like, are you able to have any say in what you're going to get as a fighter going in? Because, again, yeah. You know, maybe sixty thousand, and then they put it on TV. I mean, you, how do you get to that extra money, or you don't get to the extra money? Uh, it's much more than twenty grand. Oh, I just got real lucky with my deal. I think it's because of my super agent Rick Bassman, but uh, they would give us a monthly stipend training fee, uh, which we won't discuss, and then they would give us a per fight fee. But uh, you know, I was able to uh, live on the beach and drive a Mercedes. We'll just say that. Yeah, but, but you don't get any of the extra money. Like if a, a sixty thousand watch or a million, do you do you get a tap into that, or is that all structured? No. Oh no, I'm sorry. You're talking about back end points. No, no, no back end, no points. No. Do they do that now? Do they do that now or no? They do. UFC definitely does it, but they only do it with certain people that have the right uh, people to negotiate those deals. Yeah, they're very secretive with who what they pay to their fighters. The UFC. Oh yeah, yeah. There's a lot of people making multi-millions now, but just barely. And, and it's really just the ones still, like it is a good number, but you know, the, the guys that get the points are the ones that are on top, top of the card these days. So it's the, um, draw, the big draws, the ones that actually people want to see. Mm -hmm. The big, the big names are the ones that do that. Yeah. 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 Are there still opportunities for those wrestlers to, to uh, do things outside of those contracts, like you get paid to fight. If the fight's over, is there are there ways to make money outside of that, other than being a coach or a teacher? Are there are there sponsorship deals for these fighters? Yes, yes. So uh, while I was in Japan, I did uh, a variety of uh, TV appearances. I was in uh, maybe five video games. I had a merchandise deal. Uh, I had like one of the you top did, selling shirts, you, you so movies. you get paid for that kind of stuff as well. Yeah, you did. You did movies there based off your name. Yeah, all kinds. Of stuff. Those movies in Chinese or Japanese or Japanese. Oh, nice. So you, so you I did. Think, I think you did one in Thai also, didn't you? Or two? I think you did a Thailand movie also. Something's happening. It sounds like everyone's a robot now. My phone's not picking up. It's like everyone's speaking like in robot talk now. Hmm. Me too. Am I a robot? <laughs> <laughs> Someone, someone talk to me. Let me hear if it's a robot. Okay. Oh, it went back. It went back. There you go. really good, good to you. They, 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 they treat you well. They, they did me anyhow. Oh yeah, yeah. You know, it's wherever you fall on the food chain. Um, if you make them money, they take very good care of you. Did you find over? I said uh, Osaka, Japan. Is that what you said, Rick? Osaka or Okinawa? Well, we we were in all of them at one time yeah. or another. I think that first Korea. One, I, I could be wrong. Yeah, I remember the Korea fight, of course, in Seoul. Uh, I think that first was Osaka, but you know the places to go there. They have big indoor dome stadiums there, Sean. So you have Osaka Dome, Nagoya Dome, yeah. Tokyo Dome, and they're just uh, and I'm probably missing some domes, I'm sure. But I'm just sure because these cities started in Mexico, right? So at some point you started getting any stamps in your passport, what did your family and friends think? Well, like, you just disappear because you're, you're going to these different countries. How are you even keeping relationships? 
uh, it's really, it's not easy. And that's why I have been uh, married a couple of times. Uh, but it, it's just the reality. You know, it's it's a selfish existence. I, I'm sure bodybuilding is the same way. We, we all know the reality of us as human beings. We You have to be selfish and you generally don't figure yourself out until you get older. Uh, and so at the time, I wasn't horribly present. I was uh, doing what needed to be done uh, because, trust me, there's 20 guys or 100 guys or 1,000 guys in line waiting for you to fall so they can jump in. Yeah. So you do what needs to be done. You send the money home. You get back and forth as often as you can. Uh, I would come home uh, maybe maybe uh, four or five days and then back for a month, uh, and that's just how it worked. Wow. Yeah, like, like being in the military. I mean, I yeah. remember coming up, uh, my mentor, John Brown, at started, he said, the one thing you don't want to do is get tied into a relationship. And it was, I was a teenager. He was, he was the one that kind of, he was my customato from Mike Tyson. Yep. Yep. And, and I remember that and I hung on to it and waited until my entire bodybuilding career was over uh, before I decided to settle down. It kind of served me well because I didn't, re I didn't realize the reach, how much I was going to be away and how selfish it actually is and how hard it is to try to please people when you're not there, you're on the phone. My buddies were racking up the phone bills back then. You didn't know how much it cost to pick the phone up from yeah. America until you, check right. out the hotel. you go to check out of the hotel and it costs more than your plane ticket. The phone yeah. bill does. Oh yeah. Uh, oh yeah. 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 I mean, for me, I, I, I got it early on to, to wait until my, my bodybuilding career was over before I kind of settled down and served me well uh, in hindsight. But some guys are like you, they were trying to keep it together and send the money home. It's a, it's a hard balancing act. Yeah, yeah. Not to mention, you got a weird thing like in Japan. You got the yakuza who are they sponsor you. And so I had this guy named Dr. Watanabe who was my sponsor, and he apparently owned a chain of hospitals, <laughs> which is I'm still confused as to what that means. And so I would come to town. He would send this uh, model over to pick me up, and uh, and then everything was always paid for. Yeah. Uh, we would go to different places and, and almost like make a, a, you know, show up, take a picture with people, hang out, go to different, uh, you know, it's very bizarre lifestyle. So yeah. you're, uh, you're, you're putting a lot of very awkward situations there. You just have to roll with the punches. You know, yeah, they come home and try to adjust, right? It's a tough, uh, tough adjustment in the real world. Sean, Sean yeah. let me jump in if you don't mind. Thanks. I'm looking at Boss right now. And Boss is having this reaction, like, wait a sec, I'm Boss Rutten, but I didn't have that deal. So I, I, I'm wondering, Boss, was, was that your, was your experience similar to what Tom is describing? Oh, yeah, yeah. They, they come pick you up and, you know, you, you eat the weirdest things, you know. I mean, I was talking about it last time, I believe, um, and I wish they would have told me. I was eating this triangle thing, and they didn't say what it was, but it was a shark fin. Later on, I found out, and I said, eh. You know, if I would have known that, I wouldn't have eaten that. You know, now okay, I eat it and it was done. But then afterwards, also they went to dog fights. And there were more fighters there, and they go, "You're not coming?" I go, "No, <laughs> I, I'm sorry." You know, so they have these these weird things that they do. But you know, I've never had a problem with them. They've always been very nice, very respectful. You know, so it's not like like a, like a gang or something. These guys are, you know, like selling drugs and all that stuff that's below them. That's how they see it. They they just real estate. That's where their uh, money is. Well, and in big, you know, big being, like, being the businesses that we come from, and, and I'm sure. And Sean, I wonder. I, now I'm gonna ask, I want to go back to Sean and wonder if this is the same in bodybuilding, because in pro wrestling and mixed martial arts, especially especially when you're traveling in foreign lands, it's oftentimes sponsored by or sometimes even run by organized crime. Yeah. And you know, I found that in Romania, in Russia. Uh, oh yeah, and of course, Mexico. Mexico. I, Mexico. My experience always has been, yeah. as long as you're not in their business, they're the greatest hosts you can ever have. Well, yeah. a lot of a lot of, of those sponsors, they want to be surrounded by some good athletes, right? I mean, we're like trophies. It's like I, I saw a thing. It was I think it was Mariah Carey, like one of the sultans of Brunei or something, wanted to wanted to come over and sing some birthday songs to one of the kids, and she's going over there like a million bucks. To sing like happy birthday to his son so you get these people that are wealthy and whether you're a high price fi price fighter or a, a top wrestler or even a bodybuilder it's kind of like 
they roll out the red carpet. They have some girl pick you up at the airport and uh, show you around the town. And then you're training like you're like a thoroughbred. You're eating the best food. They're giving yeah. you cash. They're and and you get used to that. And then you got to fly back home, which is the real world. And it's really not because you can't wait to get on the plane to go to the next trip to have that similar type treatment. Yep. And then I would dare say the worst part is, is that when you're home, all you want to do is be back. And yes. when you're back, all you want to do is be home. Yeah, it's, right. it's crazy. Up here. You know, Tom, I, I will say this about you, though. You know, and I, yeah. I talk about you a lot still all these years later. It's like I, I had the, um, you know, the privilege of, of traveling to God knows how many different countries and states with you. Um, yes. Like a lot with Butterbean as well. And you guys were two of the very rare ones, because even though like you maybe you were looking forward to being in a different place, my, my recollection of you is you always experienced like where you were. You know, we, we, we'd have a standing joke that most of the guys would go get where we are and check in their hotel room where they either play video games or watch bad foreign porn. And that was it. And then it was time to go to the show or go to the restaurant. And that was it. Um, we were always out doing something. At least we got to like, we, we were explorers. Like even when we went to Alabama to visit Butterbean, we made a point of going to the Martin Luther King Jr. Museum. I mean, right. or we could have hung out in the Super 8, right? So, uh, you know, I think about the, I want to ask like where you are these days in your life. And if you don't mind talking about that with, you know, with, with your wife and all that, that would be cool. But yeah. I, I, want, I want to set it up this way. So you have a guy, and I don't think anybody ever would say like you're an average guy or even a normal, certainly not a normal guy, but, um, you know, you started your, you started your life with a suit and tie, like you said, and then the, a few years later, you're celebrated, you're a legit star in Mexico, a legit star in Japan, where you're taken care of like an A-list celebrity, and, and now you live in Orlando, Florida, you've, um, you've brought up, uh, as a trainer and, and as a husband, um, a, a woman who's probably going to be one of the top, if not the top, female pro wrestlers in the world. And well, thank you. What, 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 what's your life like now that you're in that role and you're no longer in the uh, spotlight yourself? Yeah, it's interesting. I I do still work, just so you know. Um, my family was involved in a business um, out of Israel. And so I still am involved in that. And I do travel about three months out of the year, uh, a lot of international and uh, stateside travel. So I'm kind of in a similar situation where I do three months of travel and then three months off. So um, when I'm home, I still get to be like a normal, you know, a normal person. And you find yourself trying to force yourself to go to the gym and be just a good stand up human being. Um, my wife is now um just getting a lot of uh momentum from wwe and we live right near the place where they film so i help her on a daily basis with with what she does and uh as far as the ego is concerned the ego has to, the ego was put away a long time ago um because it, it got it, it it gets big and it, you realize it doesn't serve you at a certain point. Like if you don't read Eckhart Tolle in the power of now, um, I had to get to a point where I could be present because I wasn't present for so much of my younger life. And I think one of the things we're all able to do because we've all done some interesting things, you guys much more than I have is look back and realize how much I should have appreciated those moments and how much I wasn't present during that moment. It was always about, what was the next thing, the next thing, the next meal, the next girl, the next the next drug, the next drink. So I think one of the big things that I do now is slow down and really appreciate every moment uh, for what it is, you know, as much as I can. And it's process, it's a daily process. Yeah, we, we've talked about that, Tom. We've had a lot of deaths in bodybuilding, not just yeah. bodybuilding, just across the board, 50 years old and up. We lost Dave Draper the other day, yesterday 79 years old but oh, the longer we live the more people are going to disappear right and then we're yeah. going to be the people one day um so slowing down that's a huge observation because as these people are disappearing i too i'm slowing down i'm trying to be more present in everything that i do everything comes with age yeah yeah and, and you know it's funny i remember 
I was, I've been a big fan of Boss Rutens forever. And, uh, Boss, I, I don't know if you remember this, but I was actually there in, uh, at the Price Oil, uh, the Price uh, Oil Golf Tournament when you almost got in a fight with uh, Brian Erlocker and his brother. Boss, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> getting fights? Unsanctioned? It no. was a real deal, man. They, boss had this. Boss had this CD. Uh, if you don't mind, boss, do you mind if I say? No, no. So, boss had these CDs of him singing the Wapo song or something, and he he wanted the DJ to play him, and so he he was like jumping around all crazy. And if I remember correctly, he like jumped on Brian Erlocker's brother's foot, or something like that. And then like they they started like trying to fight with him, and then uh, if I remember correctly, like. As the boss was like, at first he tried to be polite, as polite as could be, and then, like, as they walk outside, I think something happened where, like, the the uh, the bouncer says, "Do you know who that is?" <laughs> In my memory, I remember you showing him your hand. I don't think this. Maybe this is just me. I probably made it into a movie scene, right? Yeah. But I remember something about you putting your hand up and then seeing the kanji or something, and. So in my head, I made it into this, like, and they were like, oh. So uh, they all backed down, and they were like, very Are you talking about Brian Erlacher, the football player from Chicago Bears? Yes, yes, oh, yes. Yeah. Boss almost fought the whole crew. <laughs> nice. <laughs> yeah. If I ever go to a club, I want to have Boss with me. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. It was funny. It was a crazy It was a crazy time. But uh, what? it was a good time, though, right? It was it was time. Cool. Crazy people over there. I met you a very long time ago. Also, right in Orange County at your gym, right? Yes, uh, yes. That's I used to own. Time we met, like in '99 yeah. or something. Yes, yes. Uh, I used to own a gym with Rick Bassman. We had a place called Osti Dojo, and yeah. I, in my opinion, it was the greatest gym ever made. Right, Rick? Where was it? Where is it located? San Clemente, California. And we spent way too much money. And we opened it right before the military. So San Clemente is right next to Camp Pendleton. And we had Ken Shamrock involved and Eddie Millis, much people. And Ken had a deal with the military at the time. So he was going to be bringing us a bunch of the Marines in. And so right as we opened the doors, Camp Pendleton shipped off, off like 70,000 people to the Middle East. So we're like, awesome oh, timing. Yeah, so you have a whole city of people just being gone. Rick, was that right? Oh, we lost Rick's audio. You're muted, Rick, by the way. Yeah. Uh, I'm sorry. I, my dog kept barking, so I muted myself. Yes, that, oh, okay. that, that is absolutely right, Tom. <laughs> yes. Hey, Tom. happen that we, we cannot control, right? Yeah, yeah. Go Tom, ahead. We talk, every, every, every week we talk about the ups and downs of everybody. Now we, we have some crazy stories, but needless to say, in your life, it's the same as in mine. But a lot of every guest we had. There's been addiction, yeah. and there's been you, yeah. you. You had something like that that you were had to really had to kick it. That you said, okay, now if I don't kick this, it's going to be it. Yeah. So uh, this is a great story. I would say I'm a, I'm a graduate of Betty Ford. <laughs> wow. Uh, so right. Yeah. When I got out of uh, when I when I got divorced, um, I ended up in a pretty dark place. And I was abusing uh, Adderall, and I was abusing uh, Vicodin, and uh, and I just got to the point where I I wasn't bad, like gonna die, but I just realized there wasn't any end in in near sight. How do you and, get to Adderall, Tom? How do you get to Adderall? Out of all the choices, where does Adderall fit? Yeah. So Adder I, I've been an ADD my whole life, like like pretty severe, and so the doctors were writing me scripts for. Uh, 360 milligrams, whatever it was, ridiculous amounts. Like at one point I didn't sleep for seven days straight uh, on Adderall. And I was, Rick and I used to have a production company. We pitched a bunch of TV uh, shows. As a matter of fact, we optioned, how many Rick? Optioned about six TV shows with major networks. Yeah, a lot. Yeah, I don't know, but they were. Yeah. So I would stay up all night and write these uh, scripts and work on these presentations uh, on Adderall, right? Basically crystal meth. <laughs> So uh, anyway, I got to a point where I realized it wasn't going to end well. Uh, I never had any health scares or anything, and I, I've never even been in jail. So I don't know. I've never had that, those type of consequences. But I just knew that in my heart, the end, there was no end in sight. So Rick made a call for me to uh, WWE, and they were kind enough to uh, 
uh, put me in Betty Ford for 45 days. Uh, and, you know, it changed my life quite a bit. How long ago was that, Tom? How long? Uh, shoot, Rick, any help? I would say probably at least 15 years now. 10, 15 years ago, yeah. yeah. So I, get, I get the Adderall because they prescribed it to you and then you abused the prescription. Where does right. Vicodin come in? Were you in pain? Isn't that for pain? Yeah, like, yeah. So, so wrestlers, it's very, very common. Thing. I mean, you don't need to take much of it, but it's a great thing. So, I mean, yeah, it, it, it comes along. Yeah, oh, yeah. Sean, you don't, you I'm don't sure, have to I'm be sure in Tom pain. agrees with me. It helps. You don't have to be in pain. You just have to be a pro wrestler. That's all. Did you ask? Did you ask for Vicodin, or someone said, "Here, try these." Uh, combination, all of the above. Um, when you're in the wrestlers, they call them gimmicks. And the guys will all carry these fanny packs and they have bottles of Vicodin in them. You know, it's not anymore, by the way. It's cleaned up entirely, but back in the day. And so guys would just share them. And, you know, uh, you end up finding doctors. Uh, I didn't ever go through any of this finding doctors business. I had friends who were involved with the Russian mafia. and They would buy them uh, in bulk. And you just buy it from them. I imagine that's it's very common. See, in bodybuilding, we don't we didn't have we didn't have that click like you guys travel in packs and you share the hotels and, yeah. and you're kind of going from one city to the next. So I imagine it's kind of like a rock band that if you have four or five members in the band and you have three party animals and two straight guys, the two straight guys are either going to succumb to the pressure of the three that are partying all the time, or they're going to be going to leave the band at some point because they can't hang. Yeah. And so, did you find yourself a little bit like just following the crowd and like these guys are doing it and someone's kind of suggesting it's very easy to get caught up? I was probably more of the leader. If Rick will tell you. I mean, I have to be honest. You know, I wouldn't say I was ever the guy that fought a crowd. No. <laughs> most, cer most certainly not. No. <laughs> yeah. I'll let you add to that one. I think. I think what Bob was alluding to. When was that? When was the turnaround moment? Where? When were you kissing the toilet? You said, hey, oh, I got to get my life. Yeah, yeah. So, so once again, grew up as a Mormon, one of seven children, Salt Lake City, Utah, right? So I never even saw alcohol. I didn't, they don't, you, I never even saw alcohol until I was at a certain age or drugs or anything. Yeah. So um, when you get, my parents moved to Laguna at, when I was a freshman. So I was kind of thrust into this new world. And so you tried to fit in. And so I think I learned the process of trying to outcool the cool guys. And so I realized that if you were bigger, stronger, crazier, then you were cooler than the cool guys. I know Boss Rutten is the coolest guy I ever met. And I would see every time I hung out with Boss, it was like, Boss is the man. And so you like, if I can hang with that guy, that's the man. You know, that's, that's the story. So you kind of emulate the characters. <laughs> Not a good standard, boss. Ruth. <laughs> no, no. It's it doesn't end well. How old are you? I'm uh, I'm in my fifties, mid fifties. Yeah, we're we're all we're all right there with you, man. And it seems yeah. like as we bring on the show, have similar stories because they have to battle the same demons. We have to overcome some of the very similar setbacks, and it seems like. So far, everybody's kind of come full circle, and and then we, we got guys battling depression and addiction, and, and you know we came through the Betty Ford, and we had Kurt Angle on here. I mean, yeah. had everything, lose everything, uh, and and it's good to hear that you're clear, and it sounds like you're on some solid footing now. So, are you coaching now? I know you're helping your wife, but what else are you doing? You said you have a job. What, what kind of job are you doing? Yeah, so um, I work for a company out of Israel. Um, it's going to sound funny, but it's women's footwear. It's high-end women's footwear. They sell for like four to $600 each. Nice. And I'm a manufacturer's representative. I've done it for about uh, seven years, eight years now. And I have to go to all the shows, the big shows in Milan and, uh, and, and then go to Israel and Italy and then uh, Las Vegas. And so you go, to the, you go to the shows, you meet with the uh, buyers, uh, and then you go over the line and you basically just uh, sell them the line. It's a, uh, it's basically, I don't know. Imagine like a, I don't know, Gucci or Prada, but it's a little bit lower than that. But it's one of those type of companies. And then you, I'm a manufacturer's rep, basically. You really, you really downplayed that. That's huge. That's a big. <laughs> <laughs> tell, tell me the truth. The mafia guy 
say Tencent Tommen to close the deal. <laughs> Tell me the truth. Did you ever wear them? Did you ever try to shoes out? No. Right now, let's see your feet, Tom. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> he came prepared. <laughs> that is a whole other chapter. Like, that's a whole other life, man, from, from the ring to the high heels. So yeah. you got to have a pretty good eye on that, though, right? I mean, you got good taste with shoes. I think so. It's cool because it's sort of a rock star job. Yeah. You know, we talked before about the ego, and you say, what do I do after this? Because you can't be famous forever. Like, like boss is boss. I mean, you transcends everything. Butterbean's butterbean. You're you. You got the supplements and everything. You guys are all famous. But a guy like me who just had a little taste of of the fame, and then he doesn't have anything to run with, but he's already got that taste. Yeah. I still get to sort of be a rock star because I go to the shows and uh, and I meet with the people, and they all they all uh, you know wine and dine people, and you get to sort of be in something cool. Yeah, because, you know. Anyway. Yeah, you know, that's huge, especially for a former athlete, just to the sound of the applause, right? When the applause is gone, yeah, it's hard to fill that void. You know, sometimes kids will do it or family will do it, but it, it still it, nothing really matches the round of applause. But you're able to travel, you're able to see things from a different angle, you don't have to be the superstar in the room. Uh, that's really cool. I think you're a big hit with these people because you're a complete different person that they're used to, right? Yeah, I mean, oh, 100%. They they all take pictures and they pull up my videos of me getting knocked out and they they, <laughs> think, it's, they think it's amazing. Um, and it, you're absolutely right, boss. It's That's what I said. You're kind of like a superstar, a minor superstar, I guess. Yeah. Whatever that's worth. <laughs> I love it. Reminds me of Al Bundy when he starts talking about Polk High School and he's back playing football. Yeah, yeah. yeah. All, <laughs> at least exactly. you did. You've been there, you've done that. Cool. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. You gotta invite us to one of your conventions so we can see the, the shoe display, the models walking down the runway. Yeah, 100%. 100%. In Italy. Exactly. <laughs> hey, uh, y'all gotta definitely, Sean, y'all gotta meet up when y'all go, go to Florida because, yeah, guy, you, you, have, you have a blast. Yeah, definitely. definitely. I'll, get, I'll get you never from Rick. Come to Alabama, I'll show you some crazy shit. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, I'm I'm rather retired, Dean. I'm retired from all the craziness. You know I'm what? Uh, I, I was lucky. To, I was lucky to go see Bean. Um, I I was driving uh, cross country with my shoe samples, going to an appointment, and I looked over to the side of the road and it says Jasper, Alabama, and I go Jasper, Alabama, and I was like Butterbean. So yeah. I didn't even call him. I pulled off and I go to the and I, I Google it and I find. Mr. Bean's restaurant. And I walk in and I go, Is Butterbean here? And his kids recognize me. And then sure enough, they called him and Bean stopped what he was doing and he came down to the restaurant and we sat and ate. It was fantastic. It was such a pleasure. That is awesome. That's a beautiful story. You you spent time in Laguna Beach. Do you still have family in Laguna Beach, Tom? Uh, no, no, but I, I, I graduated from high school there. That's kind of like my quote-unquote home. Uh, Rick and I ended up in uh, San Clemente, which is just south of there, and that's where we had the gym, and that's where we kind of – it's our de facto home, right, Rick, would you say? Yeah, that's, that's absolutely yes. yeah. Yeah. I said it because I'm in Laguna. I'm out – I live in Irvine, but Laguna is 15 minutes away, right? Exactly. Yeah. Uh, awesome place. I'll look for you. In two weeks, I'll look you up when I get out that way. Well, Please do. That would mean the world to me. Awesome. Yeah, I'll make sure you guys have each other's numbers and all that for sure if you don't already. Well, man, Tom, it is great to see you. I've been wanting to have you on this from the day we started. And, uh, it's like it feels like old home week. And I, I know you and Sean Ray just met, but you guys have hit, off, hit it off like lifelong friends also. That's really Well, great. he said I should have won the Olympia. He's my favorite. <laughs> <laughs> Goodness, Wait, Sean Ray, did you have over 30 30- uh, shows where you placed in the top five? I did. I, only one show I placed out, and that was my very first Olympia. I was 13th in my first Olympia at 22 years old. And from my teenage to the retirement, yeah, it was only one time I experienced the bitter taste of defeat. So I spent the rest of my career trying to be number one, and I just landed in the top five. Freaking crazy. Crazy. Uh, I'm that poor short guy. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Jeez. Yeah. 
That was for the short guys. I was carrying the flag. <laughs> well, guys, we're going to all have to try to meet up sometime. Um, you know, Tom, I know, I know you hit the road every now and then. Uh, but by the good graces of, uh, of Mr. Ray here, I think we're going to be doing uh, Talking Tough Live at the uh, Arnold in uh, Columbus in March. And uh, you should come out and join us, man. That'll be a good time. Absolutely. First week of March, Arnold Classic, yeah. It'll be a pleasure. It'll be something. Who wants to wrap it up? Bean and Boss, you guys have been very quiet tonight. Who wants to do a big wrap-up for us? I, I, I got nothing. I, I, I was just really enjoying, enjoying listening, and, and it completely totally makes sense with all the fights that you did, you know. I can, you know, because you fought so many times that you cannot connect, and the automatic reflex is in real fighting is not to connect. That's yeah, bizarre. Wow. So, yeah, it makes sense. So crazy, yeah. because you did thousands of matches. It has to be, yeah. right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Many thousands. How many shows would you do in Mexico a week, you would say? Uh, well, sometimes two a day, and uh, you could do you could wrestle every day. You know, that's not every that's not all the time because you got to travel. But yeah. same thing in Japan, man. It's a lot of shows. I, I, I didn't ever keep track, but it's it's in the thousands for sure. Wow, yeah. so crazy. Um, do, do you lose touch with everybody? Like you went to Japan, all those places. Are there any contacts that you keep in that world now that you're doing the traveling with the shoes and all that? Uh, well, Dr. Watanabe, my sponsor, died because he's a chain smoker. They, it's funny because all these Japanese guys, they die of mysterious causes. <laughs> and you're like, oh, I'm wondering how these guys die of mysterious causes. But, you know, they're all like tied into stuff. Yeah. Uh, and then um, most of the athletes know. Um, here's the funny thing about wrestling and fighting. There's only a small handful of us that make it out to be normal people. Right. Um, like, there's just my friend, Sean Stasiak, who's now a doctor, one of my dear friends. Uh, he was a wrestler. I'm trying to think. There's a handful of guys that made it out as yeah. normal human beings, productive members of society. Good portion. My brother-in-law, Sean O'Hare, committed suicide shortly after wrestling. You know, it's not it's not real common. Well, shoot, Sean O'Hare, better be you fought him, didn't you? Yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah. So it's not uncommon for that. So yeah, you know the the old song. Yeah, there's that there's that old song called "All My Friends Are Dead." I, I feel like about half of them are. Yeah. Wow. At least. At least. Yeah. I, mean, I, 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 I don't know about you, Tom, but like we say, I say it all the time. Life's too short. Tell everybody you love them, man. Tom, I love you, man. Thank yeah. you, brother. Love you too, very much. Goodbye. 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 Love, love, love. Love, 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 Thanks a lot. Hey, y'all. Thank you. All right, guys. Thank you so much, guys. Good night, everybody. Take it easy. Good to see you. Let me tell you something you already know. The world ain't all sunshine and rainbows. It's a very mean and nasty place, and I don't care how tough you are, it will beat you to your knees and keep you there permanently if you let it. You, me, or nobody is going to hit as hard as life. But it ain't about how hard you hit. It's about how hard you can get hit and keep moving forward. How much you can take and keep moving forward. That's how winning is done. Now, if you know what you're worth, now go out and get what you're worth. But you got to be willing to take the hits and not pointing fingers saying you ain't where you want to be because of him or her or anybody. Cowards do that and that ain't you. You're better than that.